0: You're listening to Fit Pro Sessions with Parallel Coaching, season four, episode number four. Hi, I'm Neil Bergman, and in today's podcast, Haley and I are talking all about obesity and metabolic syndrome. So stay tuned.
1: Hi, I'm Neil Bergman. And I'm Hayley Bergman. Over the last ten years, we've helped thousands of fitness professionals to get qualified, learn with simplicity and coach clients with confidence.
0: We're the first to say that learning and being a fit pro doesn't have to be hard work and that with the right structure, support and resources, you can become a confident and knowledgeable fitness professional that is dedicated to more. So
1: how do you learn, qualify and kickstart as a fit pro? This is the Fit Pro Sessions podcast with Parallel Coaching.
0: Today we're talking about obesity and metabolic syndrome.
1: It's an absolute deep dive into these two conditions that are absolutely interlinked. <laughs> so it's all driven but together. But first,
0: I'm going to apologise for my croaky, uh, right
1: now, hoarse voice. Really it's not good. too
0: bad. It's not but too you bad. But
1: I bet by the end, you'll... yeah, completely, completely. So
0: <laughs> I don't. I feel absolutely fine in myself. We've just spent two days in the classroom doing the level two circuit qualification, and the energy was just electric and I could feel it by the end of the first day that my voice was starting to go. Sunday kind of put my voice completely on the back burner and then it's kind of like now as i get excited i feel the, the, the voice go yeah, yeah so i don't know what this is going to sound like <laughs> <laughs> as it comes through itunes and spotify and all of the other apps you're listening to so, so don't worry
1: he feels fine feel absolutely just fine a little croaky
0: monday morning <laughs> my voice was totally gone and then on tuesday we kind of thought well we need to do a little bit more recording for this episode And here we are, the day before we go live. So we're recording this. It goes live tomorrow. We're recording it a day before On the
1: Wednesday, yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: Just to kind of save a voice and get it out there. So here we go.
1: And we were going. We were sort of discussing, well, should we change what we're going to do this about? Because Neil gets so passionate about this topic that we were like, well, should we change it? Completely. So it's not one that Neil like feels <laughs> like he really needs to get passionate about. But we stuck with it. So Completely. we are talking about metabolic conditions, um, in particular obesity and the metabolic syndrome, Completely. which might be a new word for you or a new phrase.
0: So we were going to put... Um type 1 and type 2 diabetes into this one as well and talk about insulin resistance but we thought let's make this season one episode longer and I think it will do it I justice so. uh, because we're going to make reference to it today but next week we're going to jump into type 1 and type 2 diabetes and insulin
1: resistance completely. in much more detail and I think then yeah.
0: these two episodes back to back really do complement each other now whilst I'm all up for going into like a 90 minute or two hour session here <laughs> I think it's just It will just do it justice by spending more time on obesity.
1: Oh, and actually, as we've been planning through this, there's so many golden nuggets in today that I can't wait to share with you. Completely. So, uh,
0: for me, I think this topic really, I've just loved working with clients that are overweight and obese. And, you know, I was really fortunate enough as well, um, you know, just over a decade ago now to be one of the first co writers of a level four obesity um, and diabetes qualification. So, kind of being in that early stage, of guiding that syllabus and understanding, you know, how is a fit pro going to work and what should they or shouldn't they be doing in the capacity of working with uh, kind of a multidisciplinary team, working with an, not just exercise referral, but working with a client under the bracket of kind of exercise referral. Okay, um,
1: and, and within that as well, what Neil used to do in terms of learning about obesity and teaching obesity when he wrote the level four obesity course, he actually worked directly with healthcare professionals as part of the Welsh National Assembly. Yeah, completely. Um, and so he's kind of got several different angles that will come from this, not only from the clinical side of working with healthcare professionals, but also the hands-on approach of training thousands and thousands <laughs> of guys that have been and, obese and I think or I, overweight.
0: yeah, and I think you know I think most people get into this industry going, I want to help people, um, and, and the main place we help people is lose weight. I think that's probably the most common goal in the health and
1: fitness in industry. the health and fitness industry. Yeah.
0: yeah, so we're talking about losing weight. I think there needs to be, a, a, in my opinion, a lot more value and consideration placed on well, why is that weight there in the first place? It's not just a case of, you know, I'm g- we, we talk about this energy balance, I'm going to jump straight in on it, but we talk yeah, about this like it, energy balance, but is it as simple as, is it as simple as, you know, eat less, move more? Now whilst the energy balance equation and that calorie deficit is the underpinning, one of the underpinning principles, I want us to consider that it's not just a case of working with somebody that's overweight or obese and providing that information. I I, I genuinely don't believe that that is the answer.
1: It's a much more long-term answer to help them adhere to their new practices. It's a
0: behavioural change answer. And we're talking about things like creating uh, an energy balance. We're talking about moving more. We're talking about macro splits. We're talking about uh, consumption of water. We're talking about lowering stress. They're all processes. But we're talking about ultimately, which is gonna make a difference, is behaviour change
1: and that over time reverses the effect of what's going on in the body and that's quite complex what we're talking about is a couple of uh, should we dive into this let's go for it let's go for it um should we talk about obesity prevalence first
0: well let's go for let's go prevalence go for it let's go
1: prevalence why not we're here so 28.7 percent of adults in england are obese
0: which is crazy which is which is let's just put that into perspective it's like um, 70 almost million yeah it's almost a third so 70 million people we're talking you know 20 23 million people and then fit that category
1: and that's just obese so that's being my 30 and above yeah there is a further check my notes 35.6 <laughs> yeah, that are yep. overweight which means a total of everybody that are overweight and obese is sixty four point three percent. Do you know
0: what I find quite crazy? Not necessarily alarming, but I always think back to kind of I went to school in the eighties, and I remember at school there would only there was only one or two um, people in my year group that were overweight.
1: The, the I, one chunky kid. Yeah, the, completely. Yeah, 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 so.
0: yeah completely. So, it's not very
1: pleasing. <laughs> it's
0: not. So, but but you've got one other person in the group. I remember, and 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 it was that obvious that I can actually remember their name. I won't say it because they could actually be listening. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we do need to be a bit more PC here, Hayley. Okay. <laughs> so, but we're not, we're now, we're now, um, I took my uh, nieces to school a couple of weeks back and actually everyone in her year group. Okay.
1: Apart from her, apart from her not,
0: not everyone, that's an exaggeration, but, but clearly, you know, two thirds of the year group, were sitting in an overweight category. Mm. Okay, so my little niece is actually in the minority now, whereas um I was in the majority growing up, whereby of
1: being in that health being
0: health BMI. So again, let's just let's just talk about bmi very quickly we're talking about the body mass index we're talking about someone's height to weight relationship or ratio
1: which is overall volume so you've got their height and their weight
0: and their weight distributed and correlated now we could easily sit here and talk about and discredit the bmi but it's not a valid indicator body
1: composition whether we like
0: it or not as fit pros that's what's used as a as a marker for uh, someone's health and their their prevalence of or position of category and the category. stress
1: on the body yeah, increases with increased volume so yes. the more volume that that person is carrying based on, on their height on the same um organs on the same skeletal uh, system system, (laughs) the risk and the stress on those same systems will increase whether that is made of muscle whether it's made of fat the stress is still there
0: completely so
1: bmi does correlate um i think
0: i think the biggest arguments we get in class or on the pt course for example when we talk about this or certainly women say the exercise referral and level fours level four obesity is we start to make comparisons to say your rugby player that turns up that is you know Fifteen percent or below um, fat percentage. However, their BMI comes out of forty, and obviously that person doesn't really sit in. They they do sit inside uh, because of the the BMI because because it's national normative data. However, you could say, well, that's not entirely relevant, I suppose. But we're talking about health-related exercise here. We're talking about somebody that's inactive, somebody that's sedentary, somebody that's had a a a poor relationship with food a poor relationship with moving a poor relationship with life I I, so to speak overall
1: and also that's why
0: the BMI is so
1: useful and that's why the BMI is often now combined with waist circumference as well Hmm. um so a waist circumference of greater than 94 centimeters for a male 84 for a female and then you kind of get this uh, understanding a greater risk associated to the waist circumference. So
0: you could look at the as waist well to hip ratio. Yeah. Okay, so you could turn around, but again, you could say, for example, if there was a rugby player <laughs> that came out at say BMI forty, okay, mm. grade three obese. Their hip to waist ratio probably isn't in their favour anyway. <laughs> However, let's say they're playing prop position, might
1: serve their purpose. Yeah,
0: then they've got the That's what they need that for. That's why they play that position. Okay. <laughs> so I think we could just chuck that argument to one side, and yeah. I really want to bring back the health to the health and fitness industry. Yeah. And look at the look at the twenty eight point seven percent of people that are over obese. obese rather. And yeah. the further 35% that are overweight because ultimately that's our category of people we want to work with. Yeah, Those are the people who are actually, hopefully, wanting to or are reaching out. But oddly, we live in a time where there's more and more overweight and obese people. Mm. Yet we've got a time where we've got plentiful supply more of gyms and more, more and more gyms more and more diets more but and more recipe books more and more you know <laughs> so many approaches to tackling this yet the problem is only getting worse yeah so again it comes down to a behavior change issue of why aren't these people in this position mm. a reaching out in the first place or be ready willing and open to to tackling this yeah what you know we're talking about basically six know well, what it be 45 46 million people potentially walking around in society completely and un- unknowingly um, at, risk. at risk in a overweight or obese position believing to not have a problem
1: yeah and, and so <laughs> often the, the fit pro comment of why you've decided to become a fit pro in the first place is to help people and i'm gonna say the biggest Pool that you can be diving into is a those that have a large number associated to it like what we've just said so overweight and obese but also have a lot to gain in that by losing weight and increasing activity there is a huge impact on their life in terms of the benefits so it means per person that you work with you have a great impact and you are able to still work with a lot of people. Because there's a lot of
0: people in that pool. We're talking two thirds of the UK population become your, dare I say, your ideal client. Obviously, you could niche down a bit more and say, I just want to work with guys, or I just want to work with ladies, or or a local area, or a particular age group but the pool of people available to you is huge.
1: Yes, and we've spoken before about a ripple effect, and this ripple effect is exactly the same. So that the stone you're throwing into the water is quite large in the fact that it makes a great big ripple. It's an impact on them. So by them losing weight, by them starting to get more active, be healthier, that's that stone you're throwing in, that that intervention that you have, basically, that behaviour change creates a massive ripple. But you're also throwing in lots of stones because you've got lots of clients that you're affecting.
0: Completely. And
1: I think that's really, really powerful. But so on that
0: ripple effect, you might affect one person that might have a radical change yeah. in their way. but that impacts their partner, husband, wife in the house, which impacts the kids, yeah. which, you know, let's just say you change the habits and help the behaviour change of one person. You could actually go on and impact the um, behaviour change and habits of many people down the line but you just don't know that so you just got to think of a bigger picture
1: yeah absolutely
0: so obesity we understand that the bmi is up so we're talking 25 to 29.9 is overweight we're talking 30 to 34.9 is grade one 35 to 39.9 is grade two and in 40 and above we're talking grade three exactly now we also understand that you've got a hip to waist ratio that adds up Mm -hmm. to that okay and then we could start to break down and say right in these categories you're going to be heavier based on your height yeah some more volume and with that we're gonna see that fat percentage is going up
2: yeah okay
0: so if you had somebody in i don't want i, I this is what i don't like about the bmi it's the categorization of normal okay mm-hmm. i think everyone's normal let's just everyone's normal right
1: i prefer to call it a healthy range yeah but, but between
0: 18 and 24.9 yeah and so you could see the correlation between fat percentage in that zone yeah let's call it a zone uh, yeah. and a bmi
1: yeah
0: and then as BMI increases and hip to waist ratio increases so
1: does fat percentage so
0: does fat percentage
1: yeah okay exactly with so
0: that. to my knowledge there's no data that says between certain categories is going to be a certain amount of fat percentage because i remember working with one lady uh, many years ago now that from the outside actually appeared incredibly lean she was very tall very uh, an ectomorph um didn't really carry much vi- visible fat but when we did various testing uh, in uni and um, actually came out that she was 58 percent fat oh wow it was crazy yeah okay so there's no necessarily correlation between where the fat percentage goes up but we know that as you your bmi does go up as does fat percentage yeah does that make sense yeah
1: definitely now
0: i want to i want to go into a little bit of maths very quickly oh i hoped you were going
1: next. okay okay and, cool
0: I just want to, what we're about to do is very crude and very um, basic, but I want to kind of add some context. Get, some context to this. So let's just say we've got this hypothetical client. I don't know, let's call this client Mary, okay? And let's call, let's say this, this client is, how heavy did I 125,
1: 125
0: kilos. 125 kilos,
1: okay? so. And 55% body
0: fat. And 55% fat. body fat. So... We're looking at a BMI of 40 plus, 55% body fat, Uh, Mary weighs 125 kgs. So first off, we need to work out the percentage of fat to her total body mass. So you can
1: basically work out what that 55% of 125 kilos is, and you end up with 68.7 kilos.
0: 68.7. So all we've done there is go 125 divided by 100, okay, that puts us into one uh one percent then we're going to times it by 55 and we get
1: 68.7
0: 68.7 kgs of mary's body weight okay is, is fat, fat mass okay? the rest
1: is lean mass
0: so we know that one kg is 2.2 2 pounds so we yep. go 68.7 times 2.2 2. is
1: 151 pounds so there's
0: 151 pounds of fat on mary okay and she's 55 percent now
1: she's going to need some
0: of that fat yeah so what we're about so to we're do we're not going to
1: take her right down to zero however
0: let's just however. take a consideration let's just take a moment to, to see the impact of this on mary okay so we know that one pound of fat okay yields 3500 calories so now if i go at 151
1: Times three thousand five hundred. Times three
0: thousand five hundred. Are
1: you ready for this? I you to ready? Write this one down. Guess what it is. Five hundred and twenty-nine thousand three hundred and seventy-five. <laughs> so calories.
0: almost five hundred and thirty thousand calories yeah. are stored inside that fat mass. Now that's a very—it's
1: um, a large amount of energy. Large, storage. It's a large
0: amount of energy storage, <laughs> which effectively is what fat is. It's a—it's a—it's a storage of energy. Yeah. Okay. Now then.
1: We want to it, kind of see kind of of a, it would take.
0: Yeah, so obviously you're never, ever going to take a client to 0% body fat. But what I wanted to do was to add some context. Because a lot of people, I think in today's world, are after a, a transformation overnight okay we're after we got you know fast gratification you know i can pick up the phone right now i'm recording this and by the end of this recording in you know, in 20 minutes or whatever i could have a domino's pizza to my house
2: mm, shall g- we? yeah you know, maybe
0: <laughs> okay i could get any takeaway delivered to me and i could i could get that immediate gratification i and order something off of amazon and it could be here be the here by step or even the same day potentially mm-hmm. okay so we, we live in this world of immediate gratification and i think we've become used to or a habit is there of if i do some kind of weight loss approach or I do a dietary approach, whatever it might be. I start exercising, I want to see a result instantaneously. And
1: it's actually not about that. It's, um, it can take much longer. Well, so let's see what it, well, if happens with Mary. If
0: we take Mary, for example, okay, and we were to do you know just a basic consultation, we'd probably find out that Mary has yo-yo dieted several times Okay. Yeah. She's probably battled with weight for the majority of her life to get to this 125 kg point. Yeah. You don't get to 55% and 125 kg's overnight. No. And likewise you don't take it off overnight. So we have one hundred and fifty-one pounds, or five hundred and thirty thousand calories stored. Yes. Okay. So, if, if
1: Mary had a four hundred calorie deficit every day, so four hundred so calories, still quite a bit.
0: So we're talking about that could and be. And I don't from,
1: mean. I mean from her maintenance. I yep. don't mean from what she's consuming which is clearly consuming higher than yeah because to get to that because if you did this is from her maintenance
0: cool so one of the tools i could use would be like a lifetime weight predictor chart Mm. and i could look at significant times or years with with mary and plot her weight and we would probably see if we had time along the bottom and weight uh, uh, going up we'd probably see that weight was going up almost year on year on yeah okay so we could clearly say that mary is sitting in somewhat of a surplus some days or weeks might be maintenance or she might be in a good place and 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 is actually in a deficit but on the whole across the year
1: she's probably probably
0: in a surplus so actually we're talking about a 400 calorie deficit off from maintenance. maintenance so actually there's quite a could be quite a big drop because we've got to come from surplus to maintenance to 400 so calories so we've not
1: picked a little uh, a little goal here for her no, to keep completely. 400 calories deficit true deficit per day this would take mary to burn off her 529,000 <laughs> calories 1325 days which Which is is four years which
0: is almost four years it works out like something like 3.7 to 3.8 years wow so that's assuming that mary every day every day was
1: in her 400 calorie deficit was 400
0: calories deficit below her tdee yeah which which is which is a big ask so you can see now that yes it's about a caloric deficit yes it's about moving more there's loads of that's what's going to be the the, some of the key factors but ultimately in order for Mary to continue doing this for 1,300 days yep. straight
1: and 25
0: and 25
1: <laughs> okay <laughs> don't miss that last month. what well. we're
0: really talking about here is a is a behavior change and it's also, an accountability program
1: and throughout that this will change as she goes through so as her weight starts to drop we then have to recalculate and yeah, find completely. where her new her uh, uh, new TDE maintenance and then from there, drop down her 400 calories. So, so this is still so we, super hypothetical, but so. Oh,
0: massively hypothetical. It's so
1: interesting to see how long it could take. I think
0: the message. And it shows, the message is it took a long time to put this yeah. weight on, and it's going to take a long time potentially, to take this off. Well, up.
1: Mary could quite happily say that she achieved it over four years or so, probably, of of accumulative eating. Oh, I'm, I'm going to say it'd be
0: way more than four yeah. years. For my, from my my knowledge of working with literally hundreds and hundreds of clients.
1: It's not overnight. It's
0: not overnight. And it's not an overnight transformation. So you might you might package up a six-week or an eight-week or a 12-week plan, and I think in that eight weeks, it, you would, or 12 weeks, Mary's probably going to drop more than... Um, kind of one or two pounds per week. She's got more weight to lose from the early stages. She's probably going to be more engaged, more excited, more ready, more open, more willing. And also
1: have more um, availability to make change. So if she's not moving at the moment... It's easier to now get her to move.
0: Yeah, completely.
1: Um, well, and you well, say that. well, apologies. Yeah. Um, even a small amount of movement creates a more of a deficit. That's the point. Whereas yeah. later on, if she's now regularly yes. training five times a week, it's harder to now add in something. She's else. She's gone
0: from literally yeah. going from nothing to even just going one or twice per week is is a two hundred percent increase. Yeah. But yeah, so That's it's, what I meant. but it's not necessarily easy <laughs> to get Mary to move. And so what we've got here is you might see some early big wins Mm. okay so you might see some some weight loss you might see some fat mass loss some muscle loss some water weight loss and overall you're going to see body weight drop however but it's all very well you get to the end of 12 weeks you might see a drop in systolic blood pressure by um eight to ten mmhgs so milligrams of mercury yeah you might see other health her predictor t-
1: circumference coming in slightly yeah if you, you went might see her cholesterol levels completely. change her lipid uh profile change
0: completely so yeah. you might see other health predictors pain
1: coming off of her knees for wicked low back
0: pain <laughs> reducing subjectively Insulent
1: resistance changing
0: completely and you know she could perhaps go to the doctor or nurse and have a health check at the beginning and end and they could say over the 12 weeks you've You've had some incredible changes, and I've actually had um, a a guy recently that I've I trained. And at the beginning, he was type two diabetic as well. And at the beginning, we got the sign off from the um, diabetic nurse and we had a a few other checks done. Um, He was fit and ready to go. And then 12 weeks later, um, he he literally jumped straight into three sessions per week. These weren't radical sessions. You can only do what you can do. They were all body weight. It was kind of a hit circuit style of approach. But the beauty of what I love about body weight is you move at your pace. Mm. So you could have one person in a circuit going hell for leather. The other person doing the same um, exercises, but obviously appropriate reps. to their range of movement, their intensities, and number
1: of reps, speed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's not
0: what this is about, I suppose. This <laughs> for a session, but ultimately, twelve weeks later, this guy went back, and the the diabetic nurse literally said, "I've never seen this level of action before," and uh, so many of his his health predictor markers had radically improved to the point some of his medication had started to change within 12 weeks which was a massive boost for this guy because he was under the impression that he would only it would only get worse
2: yeah
0: and he'd been told by other healthcare professionals that um you know expect this dosage to go up but Mm. for the and it had gone up historically that was one of the catalysts to, to reach out to me in the first place but 12 weeks on some of his medication was coming down. Now he gets this kind of renewed energy to go at it again for another eight to 12 weeks and he's continuing along that path.
1: It's fantastic, isn't it? The other thing I love about this is it shows the need for a different goal, a, a shorter goal. So if I turned around to Mary and said, mm-hmm four years come on then let's go you're a good bit after a week she's like god this deficit is killing me like, it's really hard yeah. work um i'm then saying i want four years of this um, <laughs> monday <it's>, to sunday <laughs> it's quite hard to stay focused completely um, and can feel a bit grueling um whereas chunking it down into a smaller goal you can still see great results yes. inside a smaller four week eight week 12 week 16 week program which means that the client can be excited and celebrate Absolutely. that and know that they're moving in the right direction
0: now with that i think this leads really nicely on to there was a study done in 2007 okay Ooh, and it yeah. had lots of um i suppose sponsors of this study but it was very influential and it was called a foresight report and as Various other parts of this hundreds of studies that went into this and various names associated to it. However, one of the things that came out of this was what was classed as a foresight map.
1: As and in looking, forwards, looking, like f- looking forward? Looking
0: forward. So I'm just gonna grab this up on the screen. So the um, foresight map shows here.
1: all the different possible causes of obesity.
0: Completely. What? And literally thousands, tens of thousands of starting points were um associated to what starts someone's obesity journey so i'm just going to read off screen in front of me as, as kind of a, a, a cue so we had um food production the whole everything to do with food so how it was produced for the, the macros the
1: changes the, over time in terms of it becoming more processed even down to how uh food production being more easy to access like we said about delivery earlier and there yeah. was
0: hundreds of studies that 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 correlated for someone's obesity journey would be to do with food uh food production and food consumption which is a given i suppose yes okay
1: probably one of the first things you might have thought of was food related
0: the next one which i think most people would look at would be activity so again the activity environment of Of
1: the of the environment and of the individual yeah so the environment might be that we don't really cycle or walk to work anymore but that we actually drive or we sit on the tube or whatever but
0: then the other side but the other side to that is you could say, well, actually, the road network isn't very good for cycling. Therefore, that's why I don't cycle. Mm. So it was, look, you know, looked at all perspectives of this. It yeah. wasn't a case of I don't cycle to work. It was actually or well, we could look at the council structure and local council authority and say, well, the road network isn't suitable for cycling. That's why yeah. I don't. So it came at it from all angles. The next one was the individual psychology yes so the what's going on between the right ear and the left ear and i think this is a they're all fundamental obviously that's what came out of it Uh,
1: this one's so Unquantifiable in my mind. Like, there's so many different aspects of individual psychology that could influence why somebody would end up accumulating more fat on their body. Completely.
0: Uh, why someone doesn't buy a bike. Why someone believes that the, the, the roads aren't safe. Why or somebody believes
1: that obesity is the norm and that that's okay. There's no problem with it.
0: Yeah, and it could be a whole host of things. It could be something, some, maybe they've experienced something, some kind of trauma, some kind. Maybe it's just been a deep-rooted belief in the fact that, you know, there's so many possible start points. And that's what this study came out with. So we won't go into them all. but We also
1: had social influence and biology Biology as well. and
0: individual activity. So yeah. when you look at the foresight map, you can type this into Google. and You can actually see all the possible start points of why someone started out their obesity <laughs> journey or where they could have started. And you'll see that there's this plethora of studies and starting points. And it's no one journey is ever the same. And I think that's what I really want to highlight is whilst we sit here and we can say that energy balance is key and moving more is key. The very fact that someone's starting point could be in any one. Now I could have, I could have a hundred clients and all hundred clients could be starting off in a different place, Yeah. which why it comes back to, it's a behavioral change um, process.
1: Absolutely. It's so important with behavior change. And um, actually when you look at the foresight map, well, I just look at all the lines that go in between all the different possible things and you will realise how many millions of different um, Combination. combinations, that's the word, um, to be able to understand what the cause might be. So we can't assume that the reason why Mary is 125 kilos and 55% is because that, she
0: eats too much. It, it you know... What's what? the cause of What's that? What's the cause of that? Completely.
1: And how does that relate to her socially, or her psychology, or her activity, or her genetics, or her, genetics her biology? Or
0: biology? Completely, Absolutely. and and all the other external people associated to her journey.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. I do think that a, a person needs to take ownership and responsibility. Definitely. However, that's part of our job as a fitness professional, health and fitness professional, to help them become accountable to themselves. And in the early stages. It's about having some external accountability Mm. to have a wingman on their side and say i've got you here i've got the education i've got the knowledge let me part that on you steady slowly by slowly okay a little bit becomes a lot and over time you will be able to have this internal ownership, accountability to do the work.
1: And I think also part of that is being a health and fitness professional is that being able to consult with them and dive deeper into why they've got to the position they're in. you've teed up a tree. Because it's not a... Uh, it's not don't judge a yeah. book by the cover that that's one problem for everyone
0: completely completely so you've teed up? up really nicely Didn't because not know i it segwayed would... that one for
1: you thank
0: you very much so <laughs> what i love about this is you could say well actually a lot of my education is going to be about moving more getting my knee up which is you know don't get me wrong i am all over that and i think it's it's one of the highest values we should be heading towards certainly getting someone's um non-exercise activity up so more steps for example um and 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 getting them more active in the gym however don't underestimate the power of what i call head sessions Mm. and this is something we teach inside the exercise referral and more so the level four obesity is understanding that actually your client might for example pay for a package where you work with them uh, twice or three times a week or even once per week but inside that month one of those sessions two of those sessions or potentially all of those sessions could be sitting down over a cup of coffee and truly establishing the the root causes behind why they're in this position in the first place i genuinely believe that no client really needs me beside them next to a treadmill to get them going maybe some sessions you know certainly but in the, the early stages
1: impact of understanding that psychology side of things and their behavior change and their sort of lifestyle processes yep. that it's not just about the one hour with you in the gym Do you know it's also about the I, I had
0: one one client not too recently a good good couple of years ago and you know we had done a number of sessions out and about in the park we'd had gr- some great results and it was probably um probably about the third or fourth mesocycle in and we didn't really challenge food too early one of the concepts i like to work on is you know let's get one thing right first so we let's. focused on upping our steps and and finding time in our day to actually take action that was achievable Yeah. and then we moved on to a more structured exercise and it was a little bit into the program where we really started to dial into food we had some modifiable changes early on which was more than enough to yield a result. Mm-hmm. But after that, we started to, once we'd got good adherence, okay, and, and this client genuinely started to value exercise, because when they first started working with me, they didn't value it. Yeah. Okay. It was kind of like, I have to do this. But once he gets to that point of like, actually, I'm really looking forward to this. I get to do this. We started to challenge um, nutrition. And so the next session we went, we went down to the local Sainsbury's, and I did her food shop with her. and she said at the end of that that was the best session she's ever had with a trainer with a coach and we sat down in the coffee shop after and um we had a cup of tea and a cake (laughs) oddly yeah because it was just a really nice finish point of like do you know what we I mean, can celebrate the wins we've had i didn't want to demonize food or anything mm. and why can't we have a cake to celebrate
1: i remember why and, i remember when you came out of this you said that she was actually really embarrassed to start off with that she'd gone through this many years of her she life she was
0: 67 years old
1: without ever understanding standing. how to and do a food she job.
0: literally she literally sat in the coffee shop okay I'm, I'm actually getting like really emotional actually like goosebumps because she literally sat there and pretty much cried but she'd learned so much and she didn't realize how to structure her weekly shop how to structure her food how to get a plan in place and that was a mindset session Mm. it had nothing to do with fizz nothing to do with neat in the grand scheme of things and not really
1: anything about calories and nothing really about preparation it was about
0: preparation it was life skills it was um the mindset behind um shopping it was the mindset of where do you start in the shop? Like one of the things on that foresight report in that map, actually, actually, when it looked at food production, was actually the production setup of every major supermarket. Yeah. How you walk through the door and you get that the, the, smell, of the bread. smell of bread. Okay, that's not that's not from the bakery. You know that that's not actually a real smell. You get that right? Okay, it's there to 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 seed and plant um emotional attachments to certain places and you go in and the first oh, thing you our see local
1: little tescos they do all that their croissants and stuff and you walk in in you the go,
0: morning mm, it smells amazing and immediately you're like oh i'm going to pick something up okay and 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 how the shop is is laid out is very very deliberate in terms of the psychology of of habits and behaviors of where you're going to pick stuff up and your buying choice your buying habits mm. and so we i worked really closely with this client whereby we deliberately went to start in a different place in the shop and go on a different route oh, and change her habit and she absolutely loved it and it was easy for her after that dare i say it was easy for her to immediately challenge the way she shopped which immediately challenged what was in her basket. Because
1: it also changed the
0: way she does other things. Well, it immediately challenged the way where she put her shopping away. We even looked at where she put her food away at home.
1: Nice.
0: Because that, again, had emotional attachments to certain places with regards to where her grandchildren would come over and eat.
1: Oh, for sweets. For sweets and whatnot. <laughs> but there's lots of
0: things I can do, tactics I can do, which back up behaviour change, which is the principle here.
1: Yeah, lovely. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I want to sort of go across to metabolic syndrome now. Now metabolic syndrome includes everything we've already said about obesity. It includes obesity. It's actually a cluster of conditions and that's obesity, diabetes and hypertension. Now diabetes we're going to talk about in more detail next week and we spoke about hypertension on season four, episode two. Yes. Um, so there's already a lot there. But what metabolic syndrome is, is it's essentially if you show three or more of these specific factors. So there's five
0: factors that make up metabolic syndrome.
1: And if you show three or more of those, then you're diagnosed as having metabolic syndrome. So the syndrome. first one... Oh, one more thing. Yeah. Before <laughs> we go there, um, one in four people in the UK have it.
0: One in four people, which is you know, again, backs up the, the the obesity numbers. Very similar
1: to the obesity numbers and the hypertension numbers.
0: Completely. There's no
1: coincidence. And and,
0: there. and and also you you could look at it and say, well actually somebody that's BMI forty plus, the likelihood of them having metabolic syndrome or other comorbidities associated goes up. But that's not to say that somebody that's say BMI thirty one doesn't have excuse me, doesn't have this. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's not
0: just associated with the higher numbers. Yeah. So the first one of metabolic syndrome is is obesity and we could we could start to categorize obesity a little bit as well so first off we could look at central obesity yeah
1: which is around the waist which
0: is around the abdomen and then within that you would be really looking at visceral obesity so we're talking about um fat that is stored on the visceral
1: yeah okay
0: in the abdominal uh
1: digestive system and that's
0: what's key here is fat that's stored on the midsection on the abdomen on in that cavity Is really close to your liver your pancreas your digestive system and one of the things that you know we won't go into great detail here but one of the things that alarms me most about this fat here is it's got a plentiful supply of blood yes the capillarization infiltrates the blood uh, in, in the fat rather and and it's got a plentiful supply now, that, So, it's really that, easy
1: to get those fatty deposits into, into the, bloodstream, the bloodstream,
0: which then leads on to
1: having high levels of triglycerides in high, the blood,
0: which is another uh, precursor.
1: It's one of the factors. One of the factors, which is yeah.
0: high triglycerides.
1: And that actually leads to atherosclerosis, which we know links to hypertension, which we were talking about. So,
0: atherosclerosis previously. is the buildup of, of fatty plaque deposits on the um, artery walls which scars the artery walls and builds up and obviously blood's flowing downstream down through the arteries and as these fatty deposits build up and flow downstream they can clog up which could lead to a heart attack or stroke okay so with that you've also got um, a lowering of HDLs as well
1: yes so they've got less HDLs in their blood lipid profile basically so that they're um when we talked about hypercholesterolemia in season four episode two um we were talking about that profile and understanding that hdls um are stimulated when we are more active but they're also the the ones responsible for cleaning up our arteries essentially so if they've not got many hdls that's going to compound the fact that this Um, fatty deposits are laying down in the arteries completely
0: and then the fifth and final one is um looking at blood glucose levels oh
1: yes so insulin resistance, and also we didn't say blood pressure
0: and blood pressure completely which we said so just to recap those five first off we're looking at um obesity then we're looking at um fasting blood glucose so insulin resistance then we're looking at blood pressure then we're looking at Um, high triglycerides and low HDLs.
1: Yes, Okay, so those are the five
0: kind of precursors for metabolic syndrome. Now, I want to go back to obesity, because I I feel like we rushed it, and I said about central obesity. I said about... All different
1: types of fat.
0: ...visceral uh, fat. I also want to talk about, and I talked about the abdominal uh, obesity, so around that midsection. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is ectopic fat, which I've kind of already mentioned, but I want to give you that name. So ectopic fat is fat that is outside of the adipose site, adipose tissue.
1: So normal adipose tissue, we would relate to, say, subcutaneous fat. Like, you know, when you do a skinfold test on somebody, you're like, well, that's their fat in their subcutaneous Subcutaneous. adipose tissue. So you've
0: got adipose tissue, which is made up of adipocytes and that's where we deposit and store fat we hoard fat okay and that's a a fat storage that's there for um, energy energy
1: insulation
0: insulation protection um and within that you've then got ectopic fat so this is fat outside of
1: so it's not in the adipocytes anymore this is outside of the adipocytes and it means it's inside other types of tissues so it could be inside the liver inside the muscle inside um the uh, around the heart so these ectopic fat storage can cause massive um implications down the down the line and that's because the fat isn't supposed to be stored around the heart it's not supposed to be stored but you're going to have liver. some
0: fat around feet you, you are going to have but fat, large amounts, amounts of this can cause point, huge completely, problems completely completely um which could change the many functions of the organ that it's attached to Yeah. okay
1: can lead to organ failure could
0: lead to organ failure so for example you you've got um, a non-fatty alcoholic um liver disease yeah okay when you look at somebody that's um overweight and obese, and has got large amounts of fat around the liver. It's the same amount of fat that somebody would say been a chronic alcoholic all their yeah, life.
1: Non-alcoholic fatty, fatty liver.
0: liver I got my got my words out. I can feel <laughs> no, my voice. You're
1: like I think I've got the right words. <laughs> Completely, in your my order? voice
0: came out, and the words came out the wrong yeah, way around, But yes, we got there in the end. And so the functionality of these organs is actually um, hindered by the amount of uh, fat around them. I mean, we're going to talk about um, diabetes next year, next next year <laughs> next week. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Got a long time off
0: we've yeah completely um it is next week um and and we're talking about we're, we're going to see fat accumulating around the pancreas
1: and, and starting to see problems with kidneys and completely and how thing organs can start to deteriorate
0: completely over time
1: and we'll also talk about that in relation to insulin resistance which is one of the metabolic syndromes yes uh, in terms of how we can recognize insulin and blood glucose levels in the blood completely Yeah. um, So essentially, yeah. So they're the different types of fat to be aware of. So now you can see that if your client loses weight, fat in particular, um, and they start to become more active, these little risk factors we said for metabolic syndrome start to decrease, which means that they have a massive compounding effect. Now, the dangers with metabolic syndrome is that if they have all three conditions that it's associated to, yeah, Exactly, Um, not three factors, but three conditions. Conditions. So obesity, diabetes, and hypertension. If they've got those that they're associated to, their risk of coronary heart disease, stroke, Stroke. um, uh, (laughs) uh, type two diabetes, all of that goes up. So all the complications that go with that heart attack, all of those different complications increase on their risk. There's
0: two things I wanna, there's a few things I wanna talk about, I suppose. But the first thing is, this is a health-related goal. And it's really hard to feel that you're mm. making progress because you can't, the client can't necessarily see. They can see the number on the blood pressure machine coming down. All the scales. It, and obviously they're going to feel maybe less out of breath walking up the stairs. They might get better quality sleep. They might be able to pinpoint two or three areas. But ultimately so many people are going to be fixated on um I don't feel like I'm getting fitter. I don't feel like I'm losing weight. Or the scale weight isn't coming down. Even however... Hold oh,
1: on, before you go to however, even down to the skin fold site, that's just the subcutaneous. Remember Neil mentioned about visceral would be round the waist from. And, and that's my
0: point is we they know we can't up. spot check um, fat. We can't say, I want to lose fat off of my tricep or I want to lose fat off my of my uh, love handles, okay? <laughs> and my super iliac, you know? But w- the body's going to start... From taking away the highest risk. Yeah. So, from my experience and and, and what I've read in research is, we're going to see uh, as we start to improve our diet and start to move more, whether structured or non-structured, we're going to see fat come down off the visceral first, okay, off of the higher risk areas. So, yeah. at the end of four eight weeks, a client could be like. It doesn't feel like I've made much progress. However, when you look at the health predictor side of things, um, they could be making radical process, radical but I think genetics. that is actually why some people fall off the rails as well. Yeah. Because they're after... Um,
1: well, they can't see that the fat's gone down from around their heart, No, completely.
0: And we're, there's no way of us ever checking for that in the grand scheme of things. No. So So I definitely say it's about trusting the process and finding as many tactical ways to keep them... Inspired, keep them on track, keep and celebrate them, every win. And celebrate every win, but also remembering back that this is a behaviour change issue. It is okay. It's about keeping your keeping yourself the client on track, in spite of very few physical numbers changing
1: and it's over a, such a long period of time i think that's my big takeaway yeah. from today yeah is that it's a behavior change issue yeah and it's over such a long period of time that it can't be anything but behavior change completely um and i find that really i still now find that as a big takeaway for me because so often when i think about obesity i just think calorie deficit that's it
0: yeah completely and it's
1: not it's not it's just not that. so what's your big takeaway
0: Um, well I don't think we're necessarily at the takeaway part are we? I thought we
1: were. Oh maybe
0: what I what I think is like from a behaviour change it's one of those words that gets thrown around but actually what is behavioural change and I think you know one of the things that I like to focus on here is is our understanding of communication it's our understanding of words it's our understanding of language mm-hmm. i mean, if we can understand language at a deeper level as a fit program we can start to impact behavioral change
2: massively so That's
0: some of the principles behind that could be um cognitive behavioral therapy could be motivational interviewing it could NLP. be nlp so neuro-linguistic programming but ultimately all of these um i they're not just they are principles but also tactics have this global heading for me of how do i communicate with a client Mm. how do i talk to the client how do i see life through the client's eyes if i was to step into mary's shoes and truly understand what life is like for one day okay um i would have a lot more empathy i'd have a lot more um understanding of what i need to do as a health fit pro right now um and how am i going to deliver that you know, we talked about uh, on, on many of our courses. It's not what you say; it's how you say it. And I think that's what behaviour change is. Nice. Okay. It's not what you say; it's how you say it. And I think moving forwards, this understanding of behavioural change is, for me, it's about genuinely being there for the client all the time. When you're saying
1: it's not what you say, it's how you say it, to me that also relates to what the client is doing. So it's not necessarily what they're doing, it's how they do it as well. It's how
0: they do it. Because I've worked with so many clients now, and this isn't, I don't want this to be a derogatory sounding comment, (laughs) it's not what you say, it's how you say it, (laughs) okay, Um, towards, say, the health health world. But ultimately, I've had so many clients come out of a, a GP or consultant appointment and they haven't understood what's been said. Mm. Okay. And I've lost track of the amount of times that I've sat down and we've discussed what was said. Or I've been yeah. there in the in the GP's room with them. Okay. And then then broken that down uh, like almost with Crayola crayons to go, this is how we're uh, this is actually
1: what's going on. This is what's on.
0: going on. And there's well, so much confusion. So there's so much confusion. But I think that's why it's hard to get going out the gates or for the client to place a huge amount of value and priority on the what this actually means for their quality of life and i think from my experience for the health fit pro right now genuinely is in the trenches Never the first person maybe not the first actually maybe one of the only mm. persons
1: to sit down
0: to truly sit down and do you know what? The biggest value I, I feel I give is my time.
1: It's the time with them, that questioning, that listening, being able to just be there just and Just to be there yeah.
0: completely and truly understand, well, what does that information mean to In the In and client? out of
1: a GP surgery for 10 minutes isn't necessarily it's
0: Completely. And you know, one, this, this conjures up a couple of memories, actually. I worked with one client and um, he was incredibly overweight and obese and, um, from memory, it was about BMI 48. What? Now, this person used to fall over two or three times per day.
2: Wow.
0: Okay. And at this point, I always wondered why their knees ached early on or why they had bruises on their hip, or whatever, or why they couldn't move in a certain way. And it wasn't until we truly sat down quite early on in the program and opened up and built up this this relationship, enough rapport build, and um, that's enough customer service skills for this client to open up. But I found out what life was like on an average day.
2: Wow.
0: And it was, it's so eye opening to consider that someone that's overweight, obese, BMI 35, 40 plus, will fall over daily. Well, I don't fall over around the house. I can't really remember the last time I fell over other than like acting like a kid and running up the stairs, like chasing you or something called running around with the nieces or whatever yeah but tripping over your feet running completely. or whatever it but that's be. that's the next point Ready. i asked you know what where do we where do we fall over and it really was basic places around the house around the workplace yeah. where they couldn't see the feet uh, of
2: course. okay
0: because of that apron of of, what, of consideration of, of volume yeah, in front exactly. of them. and then it made me consider about my exercise selection now it cons- made me consider about my Um, training systems and my work to to rest ratios
1: uh, feet hip width apart facing forwards they probably can't even see that
0: well yeah completely like to
1: know that yeah so
0: i had some really i'm gonna say quite tough love questions and i i I said to this client i remember i said when was the last time you actually saw your feet and he was like probably back when i was in my mid-teens and this guy's you know in his mid to late 40s so we really did dig into kind of what life has been like across two or three decades, but also in a 24 hour period, what does he go through?
1: that only comes from the questioning.
0: And it's this, yeah, completely. And And I think behavior change really is a true understanding, a true empathy, a true place or space and time for you as a fit pro to really appreciate the client's world.
2: Mm.
0: And I think that's what behavior change is now you're on the same wavelength now you're on the same connection and now i'm going to be so much more smarter in my planning so much more smarter in my exercise selection my work to rest ratios my understanding of why this exercise is a good exercise but actually for this client doesn't work Mm. or how that goes against their medication or the advisories from their physio or whatever. Yeah. So now I can get a really, really smart plan where they turn up and go, do you know what? Neil's got my back. I know he's going to, I know it's going to be tough. Yeah.
1: No That's one
0: true. said it was going to be easy. But I know that Neil's got my back. Or, my, my fit pro person's got my back, they've got my six, they've got my wingman, and they're gonna make it the best session. And I get to do this. They genuinely deep down know they look forward to it because of that.
1: You're their wingman, you're there. As opposed developer. to seeing. no judgment.
0: Yeah, like the zero judgment. And I think that's what we talk about being client centered.
1: The other thing that came up for me when you were saying that is feels like
0: i've just waffled and rambled
1: no i love it it's really good because it was nice hearing about your client as well um but the other thing that came up for me is that understanding of when they're obese the other risks that have come out of this the the risk factors that have all fallen into place means it's actually a very serious condition whereas so often people go well they're just a little bit overweight i'll work with them anyway i'll work with them in the same and, way as everyone else and actually that's not the case because yeah. the risk is so much higher I like mean, you said in terms of falling over seeing their feet it's not just those types of things it's also what's going on inside that we can't see
0: completely and that's not just saying that that's somebody that's on the higher end of a bmi spectrum i've worked with so many people bmi low to mid 30s bmi 30, 30 to 31 32. yeah But have so many other quality of life implications throughout their day, that perhaps they're not even aware of, mm. and I've helped them articulate that, or they've not even told their, their, their closest loved ones for a whole host of reasons. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, one, I mean, like I've got another client, uh, not, not again, not too recently, but what we did was we actually helped change the layout of some of the places they fall around the house. So we understood that actually they fall in the hallway, they fell just coming out of the kitchen, and there was one place upstairs they fell. And then I kind of thought, well, hold on a minute. If we're falling over in these three locations a lot, okay, what could they hurt themselves on as they fall? And do they have access to somebody to help them up? Nice. And in all three of these places that this client fell, the answer was, yes, they could have easily banged their head.
1: Mm-hmm. There
0: was easily places to hurt their, their hip Lovers and their Over some tiles knees.
1: and things, yeah.
0: Um, but also there was no access to, say, a mobile phone or getting some help. And um, on one instance, this, this poor lady had fallen over just as she was waving goodbye to her husband at work and waited there until he got back some nine, ten hours later. Oh, wow. And so we, you know again
1: i think things we take for granted things I'd, we take, well if i fell over i'd just get back up and you
0: could say you know well i is that is that is that health and fitness but if we put that six letter word of health beforehand before fitness industry health mm. and fitness industry really what i'm saying is i am there for the clients Physical well being, I'm there for their mental well being, I'm there for their spiritual well being, their nutritional well being. Therefore, I'm a coach, I'm not a personal trainer. I'm here to coach the client. Now, if this client falls over a lot, they're less likely to turn up to my physical sessions. If this person's in pain, they're more likely to too binge eat, <laughs> to to feel better or whatever th- their reasoning is. If this person does fall over a lot, they might break their knee. Now they're out the game for good it's up to me as the health and fit pro
1: to look at the health first to
0: oversee the whole thing yeah. and coach them and say how do i help you turn up three four five times a week how do i get you on board that you feel like i get to do this i don't have to do this yeah,
1: yeah. i mean it's so powerful
0: completely and, uh, and fantastic. And i think over the, the global heading certainly for the more higher risk is how do i improve your quality of life because now this person falls over and they can pull themselves back up just by a simple layout design of their house. And
1: also, the other problems about being there on the floor all day, apart from sort of the humiliation of an intuitive to the toilet and things like that, yeah. but also they've not no, now just... consumed any food for the day. So what's the knock-on effect of how that affects? What, they're not drunk any Completely. water all day. What's the knock-on effect? Yes. If somebody is larger and they find it hard getting up and down um, from their office desk, they might not get up to then go and have a walk around at lunch or to get food or to get drink, yep. in which case they might just binge out in the evening. Completely. There is so many more knock-on effects than we might first think about. And I think that only comes from a coaching perspective and that behavior change Completely. focus to put that health first.
0: Um, I think, really I know we're we're, we're this is gonna be quite a long episode, <laughs> but I'm okay with this. I think this just needs to be a, a short discussion on maybe exercise and and medication as well okay yeah. okay so let's take a, a client that is overweight and obese okay we can't make the assumption that they could squat or they could lunge
1: yes um but first of all it's the mechanical differences even yeah. in walking gait so if you um next time you're out and about and you are looking around and you see somebody that is Obese and quite obviously obese, have a look at how they move instead of this forward locomotion from the hips and and the normal sort of rotation from the spine that goes with that for contralateral movement you'll see more of a rolling and a rocking motion. Yep where they're having to shift the weight from one foot to the so, other. So walking so is sagittal, so
0: walking is sagittal. Yeah, Yeah. if you watch somebody that, or look at somebody that's, and, and, and actually what we used to do on the, on the physical uh, level four attendance days is actually we used to have a, an obesity um, uh, yeah, um, fat, a fat suit. Fat suits. So that, that weighed um, an additional 40 kgs and it was a big volume and it was a massive eye-opener to wear these suits um, so um, behind to- closed doors and truly analyze human movement because because sagittal walking, it, well, it's walking, it's sagittal. And yes, you are going to get elements of transverse and frontal in any muscle we, we, yeah, we train. Absolutely. We can't assume that just because the adductors adduct, they, the adductors still go through transverse and have an impact on the hip. The adductors can still go through frontal and have an impact on the hip. However, if you watch somebody walk that's BMI 45, for example, you're going to see that they really have to utilise...
1: Frontal and transverse
0: planes to move forwards. Yeah.
1: Um, And that's because that lack of uh, balance necessarily for the volume that they have and stability across the locomotion moving forward. You're going to see
0: knees knocking in. or bow leg or or out.
1: So the overall alignment Mm. of the body changes as a result, not just of the fat mass around it, but how that weight is uh, distributed Distributed. around the body. So um, that changes the gait. And if it changes something as simple as walking, then you know squats, (laughs) lunges, a leg press, getting into a chest press machine that's very close could be really tricky so range of movement is a huge aspect to not only consider of like they can or can't do this but how do i adapt and how do i observe and correct to make sure that i'm doing the best thing to not make their conditions worse or now give them arthritis in areas or, or whatever
0: or just just to give them real bad joint pain like, yeah. like let's think of this like water runs downhill in the least path of resistance and as does body weight under gravity okay so the body is going to find positions that, that offer the least path of resistance yeah so this skeletal system for this six foot two guy um in a in a healthy bmi range let's just say is 85 kg yeah now let's take this same guy that's bmi 40 for example and weighs in at 140 kgs some 50 kgs more than the than their than their lean counterpart is handling yeah okay so now gravity is now forcing this additional 50 kgs down and it's finding the least path of resistance so you're going to see a whole cascade from the foot to the top, tip of the head and the shoulders from the shoulders and head down to the tip of the feet change so you're going to see From the feet up, you might see a difference in their uh, foot. You might see a difference in um, the the flat feet. You might see a difference in external rotation from the ankle, external rotation from the knee, external rotation from the hip, a wider stance. You're going to see maybe an anterior tilt of the pelvis, which cascades all the way up the spine, um, maybe into a a hunched position like the you're going to see the
1: shoulders yeah
0: protraction of the shoulders
1: the chin poking the chin forwards. poking
0: forward you're going to see tighter muscles in the neck and all because of the weight of the fat distribution around them pulling them into this position and so we really need to be mindful Yes, we want to challenge them from a postural perspective. We want to get them moving. We know we've got to get their heart rate up. But at the same point, we want to be selecting exercises that actually encourage good movement, Mm. great, good posture towards that, but recognize that Rome wasn't built in a day, but understand that the range of movement is going to be your biggest issue. Yes, And so, you know, just placing a client of BMI, even 30 30 plus, matter, into a, a standard boot camp set of circuit exercises could be the worst thing for them.
1: Yeah. And also- Unless
0: that boot camp or that circuit or that approach actually sits down and truly understands what this client can and can't do and understands all the possible regressions of that exercise that says this is your starting point.
1: And I want to highlight something here is that it's not necessarily about contraindicated exercises because there's not necessarily a pool of exercises for obesity that someone cannot do. No. Um, Instead, it's a relationship between the condition and other risk factors they may have that might be diagnosed or undiagnosed. We know that if they are obese, they are more likely to have hypertension. We know that if they're obese, they're more likely to be at risk of heart attack and stroke. Yeah. And all the other uh, issues with insulin resistance and triglycerides, all of these different problems. So start stressful
0: to, isometric positions. So the or things, things that overhead we put in or place. change in planes of movement or change in um, postural hypertension, where, you, where you're going from standing, seated, lying quickly. Yep. A, a PHA circuit. Now, what so I, you
1: almost apply the contraindications from those conditions, conditions that are linked which means yes. that there is so many more complexities to obesity than just a yes. range of movement. Now,
0: I also want you to consider that whilst there's not necessarily um, uh, exercises that are contraindicated to obesity, I know firsthand uh, from certainly my early days where I didn't deep dive or research or, or, or know enough about this particular population of people, That the psychological impact of a session of a particular exercise could be the difference between the client staying or coming back yeah and that is dare i say the number one thing on my list i would say humiliation
1: is contraindicated yeah the
0: guilt the shame (laughs) whatever there's lots of words associated to that that are conjured up for a client and everyone's an individual but if i thought and i was like right what would be the biggest win for a client in this session would be did they enjoy it and did they are they coming back we do more of the things we enjoy so if i know that the client is enjoying themselves then their likelihood of coming back goes up and like we saw earlier mary needs to show up every single day for four years yeah she does so when it comes to exercises or contraindicated exercises for just for obesity not considering all the comorbidities which we have to do mm. actually the number one thing is for psychological impact of that and individually the that you on the think... exercise sorry to jump in on the group their comparisons yeah and it's making sure that you are with them
1: and quite often i've heard people say well i've programmed all this high intensity work because they need to get a calorie deficit in order to lose their fat that's their goal but actually, remember that calorie deficit comes from other areas as well. Yeah. You're actually the behavior change yeah. approach of having an enjoyable session that supports their self efficacy yes. would have a much greater compounding effect over Beautiful. time yeah, than one beasting session that would burn, in theory, more calories. Um, whereas you could then just include more steps in the day somewhere else, you know
0: what? or tweak the food. You can't. Uh, but I've had. I've it's had. Not just far more client successes. Yeah. Okay. Whereby we focused on neat mm. and we focused on modifiable changes to someone's diet, rather was,
1: than that beasting. Oh, not even session. just beasting, but
0: just dare I say, just structured exercise. Mm. To, to be honest. Yeah. there was far more wins uh, across a longer period of time. But the biggest win was. They got more active quickly over time, mm-hmm. which did reduce their weight, which improved their self-efficacy, their self-confidence and in time joined in in other circuit or other approaches, um, a whole body approach in the gym or out in the park. But the, the prerequisite to that was four six weeks of hitting to start off with a few thousand steps per day. 5,000 steps per day, 8,000 steps per day. And slowly by slowly, logical progression got them to that starting point. We can't, I don't wanna have that assumption that just because they wanna lose some some weight, or improve their health, then the starting point is to get active in the gym straight yeah. away.
1: There's so many other variables completely. to completely so fast. In I, the same way the Foresight report showed there's loads of causes, there's actually loads of solutions.
0: And loads of starting points. There's loads of starting points of why somebody gets obese and overweight in the first place and has metabolic syndrome. And there's also loads of places to start journey to, to to reverse that i love that what an ending right. i think that summarizes it nicely i
1: think that really does um we didn't necessarily highlight much about medications um and treatments yep. and what i want to say is that this necessarily isn't the first port of call anymore for um for the doctors and healthcare uh, yep. environment they don't necessarily send you away with an all of stat pill go and have this and it'll yeah. block your your fat absorption it's not really necessarily about that anymore and, and it is a long way down the line before people can get uh, any kind of restrictive band surgery in terms of um uh restriction on their digestive system yep uh, but and i, I want to have
0: that i'm i'm prepared to to extend this podcast yeah, a little bit okay further like that? to a degree because also i think that we well, talk about this in I,
1: massive detail on our level.
0: Four. Yeah, because when I've sat down, I've taught that course face to face. I don't know, I, I must have I must have helped qualify over a, over a, well over a thousand level fours. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of a lot of conversations. <laughs> and um, overall, the the feel or theme I get at the beginning of a course is very much anti-bariatric surgery. Very much yeah. anti. Uh, a, a band or restrictive process on the digestive system or very much anti-medication uh, for this. And I just wanna kind of like, just add some bigger picture empathy in here. That That is recognised as part of uh, a, an approach of tackling oh, obesity. Yeah. And, and to date, dare I say that bariatric surgery has actually got incredible research behind it of the long-term, Impact it does have on an individual's health and obesity, and it
1: breaks the cycle. And so, if somebody's in a cycle or a spiral of their habits and behaviors, like and Neil was saying, yeah. then it can be very difficult. And to somebody break doesn't
0: that. get there through paying and going overnight. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. a lot of processes oh, uh, well, it doesn't and get to, operation to until get long. there yeah. to to qualify for that. So, I, I want to. I don't want to stay too long, but I also just want to add actually. That is part of of the pro a process of of tackling this major issue. Which dare I say, you know, in amongst a COVID nineteen pandemic, I'd also say we do have an an epidemic of obesity. It's an it's an ever growing issue on a global scale, and I don't think it gets the 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 awareness that so many other conditions have, um, and it deserves it. It really does yeah. because I, I think that. Obesity is the catalyst of many other conditions as we've seen. Stroke, heart attack, um, hyper... um,
1: Hypertension. Hypertension,
0: uh, hypercholesterolemia, and those types of things. So they're the catalyst to so many other low back pain mental health you name it it's fair like for me obesity is if i had all of the conditions i would see obesity in the middle and i could see a not necessarily a cause and effect on all of them but i could certainly see relationships with all of them yeah if i I put for example um I don't know, uh, hypercholesterolemia in the middle, I wouldn't necessarily see all the others. Mm. Does that make sense? If I put arthritis in the middle, I wouldn't necessarily see all the others.
1: And I think, again, that comes back to what I said about earlier is that so many times, obesity is seen as something that, oh, it's okay. They're just a little bit overweight. They don't actually have any other risks. Or
0: that bariatric surgery, that was the easier option out. And I have worked with people with a band and I've worked with people that have had surgery. And I'm telling you now, that is not the easiest option. I'm going to tell you like straight up, I can say that's one of the hardest options. One of the hardest options to, to, to get to that point and then to get on an operating table knowing that there is a risk of death in this based on starting point and the risks associated with surgery. That's not easy decisions mm. to make. And it's about, again, behavioural change to get there, behavior change of getting through that surgery and behavioural change to coach and hold someone accountable after that after that to do the work which
1: is why it's something we focus on in the level four obesity and diabetes so becoming an obesity specialist follows the exercise referral path really nicely but at that point you learn about what that really means in terms of gastric um uh, bariatric surgery but gastric balloons gastric bypasses how that then relates in with medications but what you can and can't do with somebody after that point yeah and I i will say that It's not something to be playing at if you're brand new as a fit pro and don't have, hold on, and don't have that knowledge of the exercise referral and uh, level four obesity because there's so many intricacies and things to consider.
0: Completely. And whilst, yeah, build on that, like whilst it appears that we're doing good, um, we don't have the full picture of truly the skill set, the toolbox. The health and fitness professional has a toolbox, as far as I see, mm. and you know, every there's lots of tools in this. So the, these advanced specialisms allow you to put extra tools in your toolbox to go. Ah, that's that's how I build this level of empathy. Yeah. Those are the world class questions I'm going to ask. This is how I'm going to support the client. This is how I'm going to hold them accountable. And that's when the tactics come out. Yeah. You first, you must have a principle, which is the tool itself. Exactly cool i think we've we've we kind of touched on so many i'm impressed areas. with your voice it's held out quite well it's
1: held out quite well it's
0: held out quite well
1: um and i think we really wrap up there so what i would love to hear is, is what your big takeaway is from this so there is a lot of information it felt in like we podcast. could keep
0: talking and talking i know
1: but we could we've done a, a full qualification on this yes so you could talk for days and days about which I it,
0: have <laughs> which
1: we don't need to do right now no, um, so um, what I, I want to hear is your takeaways what is your big takeaway from today what's the one thing you're going to take